0: Hello and welcome to the Law Life Balance Podcast with me, your host, Caitlin McPhee. The Law Life Balance Podcast is here to help drive much needed change in the legal industry. We all know that lawyer well-being is at an all-time low and mental well-being is a particular concern. Sadly, one in ten lawyers under 30 globally are experiencing thoughts of suicide, and that is just not okay. But all is not lost. There are so many incredible people out there fighting to make the legal industry a happier and more sustainable place to work. And it is my mission to track them down and interrogate them on this podcast. So in season one, I'm speaking to thought leaders in the legal mental wellbeing space about what we can do to make lawyers lives that little bit or even a lot
1: better.
2: basically I looked around and said, okay, um, what can help me go back to work after having a baby as I was, you know, sitting on the kitchen floor crying because I had no sleep and I couldn't keep all the pieces together. And the advice I found was quite demeaning and snarky. It was, don't put a photo of your baby on your desk, or, you know, you might not be taken seriously at work, or you might leak on your shirt if you're nursing and pumping. And I was like, this is not helpful.
1: Hello everyone and welcome back to another episode of the Law Life Balance podcast. This week we're speaking with Laurie Mahalich levin who's recently stepped down from her role as a partner at Denton's to set up her own law firm. Not that that's taking up all of her time, as Laurie affectionately calls it, her side gig is what we're going to be talking about on the podcast today. When Laurie became a parent to her two redheaded boys, now aged eight and 10, she found herself at a real loss of figuring out how to balance life as a parent with life as a lawyer. And after scrabbling around for all of the information, she realized there was nothing out there that could really meet her needs. So she set about pulling all of the information together for herself and other people to figure out how to return to work after having a baby. Laurie set up a company called Mindful Return, which aims to give parents all of the tools they need to return to work peacefully. She's also the author of a book called Back to Work After Baby, How to Plan and Navigate a Mindful Return from Maternity Leave, and co-host of the Parents at Work podcast. This episode is for all the parents out there. Whether you're a new parent, you've been a parent for a while, or you're thinking about becoming a parent, this episode will leave you feeling confident that you can juggle parenthood with your career no problem. Without further ado, here's Laurie.
0: Laurie, thank you so much for joining me today for this conversation on the podcast. Let's start first things
2: first. How are you and how's your week going? Oh, Caitlin, it's good to be here with you. My week is good because my children are where they're supposed to be (laughs) and I'm where I'm supposed to be. And, you know, for a year and a half, that did not happen. So school Mm -hmm. is a blessing. Yes.
0: We love to hear it. That's yes, Excellent. Indeed. And so before we kind of dive into a bit of more of a conversation today, I would just love to hear a bit of an introduction from your side. Obviously, my listeners will know a little bit from the brief introduction from me, but can you tell us a bit more about yourself and, you know, how you got to being here on the podcast with me today, discussing what we're about to discuss?
2: Wonderful, Caitlin. Yeah. So I live in washington dc and i like to say that i wear three main hats in life although mm-hmm. i know we all wear 712 hats yep, uh, at given least. the day <laughs> um my three main hats are mom to wonderful red-headed boys who are ages eight and ten we are a red-headed family of four or at least used to be before you know aging happened <laughs> yeah. Um I am a lawyer in private practice, and I recently left the world's largest law firm, Denton's, where I was a partner for six years to start my own firm and practice Medicare healthcare regulatory law, as I'm now tongue in cheek a little bit calling it my side gig. Mm -hmm. And my main passion and venture is related to a program called Mindful Return that I founded seven years ago. To help new parents transition back to work after parental leave and to help employers retain their new parent talent. I created that program out of one, sheer desperation and two, (laughs) creating what I wished had existed for myself whenever I was a new parent. Absolutely. I love that. Especially like private practice being your side gig these
0: days. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I'm here for it. So Mm -hmm. I mean, listen, there's so much that I want to get into in this. And I really want to talk more about mindful return and everything that you've built and the purpose behind it. But can we start with that motivation piece for you? Like, what was going on in your life at the time when you decided you needed to create it? What were those things you felt were missing at that time?
2: Yeah, that's such a great question. I'm, you know, flashing back to that era of life. I was a risk averse lawyer who never, Mm. ever, ever thought of starting my own anything um, other than, you know, following the escalator up to whatever the next (laughs) thing was in the lawyer path. Um, And then, you know, I had my two boys and I found it challenging to go back to work after leave after baby number one. Mm -hmm. And then I had baby number two. And that's when things were a mess for me. Um... My old, when I founded Mindful Return, my youngest was 11 months and my oldest was two years old. And, you know, it's a strange time of life to be thinking that you have time to start a company. And I didn't, Mm -hmm. but I was so outraged that I couldn't find resources that would help me that I set out to create some. So Mm -hmm. basically I looked around and said, okay, um, what can help me go back to work after having a baby? as I was, you know, sitting on the kitchen floor crying because I had no Mm -hmm. sleep and I couldn't keep all the pieces together. And the advice I found was quite demeaning and snarky. It was don't put a photo of your baby on your desk or, you know, you might not be taken seriously at work or you might leak on your shirt if you're nursing and pumping. And I was like, this is not helpful. Mm. And so, um, life was, it was not pretty. I was waking up every two to three hours to feed a child or put a toddler back into bed because he refused to stay in his toddler bed, all of that mm-hmm. good stuff. And I, I wound up taking an online course called the abundant mama project. And it was a cohort of moms from all over the world who had kids of all ages who were all trying to find the abundance in life instead of the overwhelm. And I said to my husband, like the world needs that sort of course, which really helped me at the time, but for new parents who are like going back to work. And my husband, the MBA entrepreneur type who Mm -hmm. has, you know, had his own business for many years, looked at me and said, well, what are you going to do about it? And I got inspired to calm my nerves and sit down and write my first blog post while my hands were like shaking and sweating on the you know bed and like, oh my gosh, what am I doing? And of course, you know, I post it and like three people read it. And classic. um, Yeah. Yes. 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 (laughs) So that that was the the stage that my head was in. I feel like I need to do something because there's nothing helpful out here. And gosh darn it, if I'm gonna have to be the one, fine. (laughs) You Mm -hmm. know? So um it, it really grew out of that that pretty dark place I was in. Yeah. And I think
0: that's really common, right, of a lot of entrepreneurs Mm -hmm. it's that there's a real problem that they've been through and experienced themselves that they then think, well, hang on a minute, there has to be a solution to this. Oh, wait, there isn't one. (laughs) Oh, wait, maybe I'll create one. And so I, I love that that's, you know, it's come from such a personal experience and like a private experience, but one that is shared by so many other people around the world
2: yeah so Um, true so true. and
0: so i'm interested about obviously because you have founded this in the united states and the work culture in the states is quite different from in the uk and i know that you and we'll get onto this later are like expanding mindful return but what's it been like how's it been received in the us because there have been some quite resistant attitudes right to taking time off and parenthood and all of these wonderful things
2: yeah that's a great question and a complicated one um Uh, the United States is one of what, like only three developed countries that doesn't have paid parental leave. And the average amount of time that an American takes is two weeks, which is ridiculous. Now, the people who are taking mindful return often average from, I'd say probably like eight weeks to eight months off. Um, And so there's just a wide range of the amount of time that people are able to take um, that's perhaps a conversation, a policy conversation mm-hmm. for another day. Yeah. Um, but what I found from the very beginning of Mindful Return, because the course is really open to anyone, anywhere. In fact, you know, now we specifically call the mom course and the dad course uh, that we started with, the global courses. And now, as you mentioned, you'll know, have a UK chapter and now we have an India chapter. Mm-hmm. and you know, We're launching a Spanish language version soon. But um, even from the get-go, I had people joining from all over the globe because you could just sign up for it online. Mm. And, you know, I had a member, a mom who was in the Dutch Navy. I had, you know, these moms from Australia who would all get on the platform first because they woke up before we did that sort of thing. And I discovered that although some of our um, individual circumstances around what the policies are and whatnot are different we all tend to struggle with the, simil- the same things. We're struggling mm-hmm. with identity. We're struggling with separating from our children to go to work. We're struggling with guilt. I mean, these things are universal. And I found that the course resonated more broadly um, mm-hmm. with folks than I thought it would whenever I first had people from all over signing up. Um, in the United States, I'd say you know there are now 81 different employers that offer mindful return as a parental leave benefit um, who are focused, they're based in the States, although they might have offices elsewhere. And I'd say that when an employer offers the course as a parental leave benefit, it's because they, they want to send a signal to their employees that they care about new parents, they care about retaining them, and they want to help mm-hmm. make the process more smooth. And a lot of those employers are um, in industries where it's been hard to be a woman leader. Yeah. And so I think some companies, some employers are making a conscious effort to try and change the narrative mm-hmm. and to say, hey, we want to work hard on retaining our women. Now we have a course for dads too. So mm-hmm. let's change the narrative around caregiving generally. Yeah. But I think they're trying to take steps in the right direction of retaining people who have tons of talent and might otherwise have dropped out of the leadership pipeline.
0: Mm-hmm. That's really great to hear. And then, and yeah, I mean it's definitely not solely restricted to the States that there is a Mm -hmm. problem with retaining female talent, (laughs) uh, especially in the legal industry, as we know. Um, What was it like for you to be a partner, a mom, setting this up, juggling,
2: how did you do it? How? Baby steps, Caitlin, tiny (laughs) snippets of time. Um, When I founded Mindful Return, I was working full-time in-house at a trade association. And I literally started 20 minutes a night and sat down and said like, that's all the time I have. <laughs> and so yeah. I'm gonna see what I can do. And when I set out to create the first mindful return course, I knew I wanted it to be a four week course with four themes. So I mapped out four months of, of time and work and whatever, and plotted my project against the four months. And within four months I had a course. So I really had to set expectations that I wasn't going to be cranking out Massive work product, you know, in a tiny period of time. Um, After a year and a half, a year and a half after I founded Mindful Return, that's when I went back to a law firm, somewhat ironically, because I swore I would never ever go back to a firm. Mm -hmm. And then I went back as a partner. But I went back as a partner on a 60% schedule. Mm. And I told them very outright that this was a project I wanted to grow and work on. And I wanted some daylight hours and more than 20 minutes at a time to work on it. And um, to the firm's credit and to the credit of other firms who are also willing to hire me and experiment with that, um, they said, sure, we'll give it a go. And I entered the firm as a partner on a 60% schedule. Now, I have a couple of things going for me. One, um, I have a lot of things that are are very helpful <laughs> and supportive, but one of them is that, um, I have a regulatory practice and it's advising and counseling and trying mm-hmm. to make sure that my clients stay out of orange jumpsuits, but I don't have, uh, litigation demands and I don't have deal demands that mm-hmm. I know a lot of other lawyers do. Um, and the other thing was, you know, the firm was willing to take a gamble on me as a partner, um, at a reduced schedule because that meant they had to pay me less too. Right. Yeah. Um, and so I think they were more willing to try it. I also very much looked for a practice group where reduced firm hours was normal, where there had been people in that practice group who had worked a reduced yeah. schedule previously. Um, so I, I think, How I did it, I mean, how I do it is just a a patchwork of different activities throughout the day, you know, a Mm. little bit of legal, a little bit of mindful return, a little bit of parenting and, you know, mix it all up into one giant stew (laughs) and no one day looks like the next day.
0: Quite. But I think what I'm really hearing from that is that time management for you is like principle number one. It's like planning. (laughs) It's making the most of every minute that you have. It's like making sure that you stick to a schedule. And I think there's no way that anybody could juggle so many things without that. Um, I think it's a really interesting point that you've raised about how the practice area that you're in can massively influence how much flexibility you can have. And it's something that I hear a lot actually Um, with some clients and some people that I work with saying, well, that might be possible for some lawyers, but it's not possible for me because like my work schedule just doesn't work like that. You know, Mm -hmm. I don't have visibility. Mm -hmm. It's too, oh, what's the word? Unpredictable, Mm -hmm. like it comes in waves. Do you think that there is a solution for that in the legal industry for everybody to be able to take advantage of more flexible ways of working, especially when it comes to parenthood?
2: I don't think that there's a one size fits all solution, but I think that there are solutions for every practice and that there are ways of working hard at figuring out how to make flexibility possible. Um, one thing I meant to say earlier is that I don't think I could have pulled any of this off as a like junior associate, but mm. because I was a partner, I had a lot of autonomy. I was growing my own practice. People left me alone. You know, I was I was able to create something that you know I think it would have been harder, more junior. But to your question about different practice areas, um, there's one group in particular in the U.S. that I love uh, working hard on this issue called the Diversity and Flexibility Alliance, mm-hmm. and they started off really being um, a benchmarking organization for law firms to figure out ways that they can um be creative about flexibility. So one thing that I I know I have heard them talk about is for example for deal lawyers to do one deal on one deal off as opposed to um you know having them all stacked up. I also just have to reflect on the idea that and I'm speaking about law firms specifically. Um they're they're designed by white dudes who have partners taking care of families, right? And the, the time in life when one is uh, you know, supposed to be quote unquote making partner mm. is the time when it's like the childbearing years for many women. Totally. And there's sort of this presumption that you are able to just work around the clock during that time in a, in a world that just doesn't, doesn't work. So I feel like the whole system is structured based on some principles that aren't exactly favorable to um, women, to working moms. And I feel like we just have to get a lot more creative. One of the problems that I always had with the billable hour was that it disincentivizes efficiency Mm -hmm. and working parents are some of the most efficient people on the entire planet because we have to be. So the faster and more efficient I became at my work, the less I was being rewarded for it because I wasn't billing the hours that I needed to anymore. Right. And so um, for me, it's been very helpful to work on flat fee models and project-based work because then you know you can be efficient and be rewarded for that. Mm-hmm. Um, so I really am in favor of law firms looking more toward the alternative fee arrangements because then you're not so dependent on this mighty billable hour. I could go on many more soapboxes, but that's a few of them.
0: (laughs) I couldn't agree more. And that's something actually that I've said quite a lot, even on this podcast is the, you know, billable hour rewarding inefficiency effectively Mm -hmm. in the Mm -hmm. sense that the longer it takes you to do a task, the better you're rewarded, the more the client pays. Like it seems to just work out really well for everybody except the person who's actually doing the work and suffering and also the client, right? Because they have to pay a lot more for it. Exactly. So I think I completely agree with you that that would be a really great solution to kind of introduce those more creative and innovative ways of billing and ultimately of measuring lawyer efficiency and performance, because like if we're not taking into account like efficiency as a positive measure of -hmm. someone's performance, then I, I think we're really missing a trick.
2: Yes, absolutely.
0: To bring it back to Mindful Return then, so I'm really keen to hear about some of the things that are in this course. Like, What are some of those things that you have kind of discovered and devised for working parents that are useful for them going back to work?
2: Yeah, so we, we run the course over a four-week period, and each of the weeks is based on a specific theme that we encourage parents to focus on and the four themes that we go through throughout the course are a mindful mindset for going back after mm-hmm. baby this is the how to get your head in a better place and not go off the rails like i did piece um the second week is all about the logistics of return this might be negotiating flexibility it might be um navigating the transition of your child to childcare. um putting food on your own table at night because we all need to also you know nourish ourselves and feed ourselves um, pumping if you're pumping, that sort of thing. And then the third week is about leadership in the space of return and viewing yourself as a leader, as a working parent, um, mm-hmm. turning on its head that traditional narrative that when you have a baby, suddenly you're less valuable, and saying, No, 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 parenthood is giving you these amazing skills that are going to be really useful to your career. Mm-hmm. And even if you can't see it right now because you're sleep deprived, I promise you it's true. And then the fourth week is all about staying in and building villages and community and making sure you're not isolating yourself crying on the kitchen floor like I did for way too long. And, you know, thinking about how we interact with our village, whether it's our in-laws or daycare providers and sort of helping set people up for success in community building.
0: Mm, Yeah, that's amazing. And I love the community point as well, because I think what's really great about Mindful Return is that this isn't an in-house solution that's kind of only got the ethos or the culture of one organization within it. Like it branches across multiple organizations with lots of different people. And there you've got an opportunity for so much sharing of knowledge and resources and feelings. Have you had any feedback from people on that and like how beneficial that element of it is?
2: Yeah. I think it's the magic sauce that makes Mm. mindful return work, to be honest. Um, I've had employers approach me and say, hey, could we do a cohort that's just for our own employees? Mm. And they, I say, sure, we could, but I don't know that you want to. And after considering why they might not want to, every employer has said, oh yeah, it actually makes more sense that we have our folks join the broader cohort with people from all different industries and backgrounds and professions for a number of reasons. One, um, you're cross pollinating ideas across Mm -hmm. different industries. And two, often people are saying, oh, well, you know, I thought it was just me. I just thought I thought it was just my firm. I thought it was just my industry. And then they say, oh, well, you know what, there are good things where I am. And I don't want those things that somebody else over there is saying and vice versa. And it's just this like wonderful, vibrant way of creating um, a more diverse community that can, you know, bring out a lot more stories than if you had only one Tight knit group taking the course. Um, You know, we always do a post course survey of the people who take mindful return. And in addition to saying that, like, it it made the process of return a lot smoother and, you know, they're more likely to actually go back to their job, um, they do also talk a lot about the fact that for them, taking the course and Feeling not isolated alone is a daily act of self-care for them mm. in a time that's often otherwise very isolating. Um, in new parenthood, you can get in your own world and talk about COVID. I mean, people are way more isolated even than before, and they they say, you know, I treasured the twenty or thirty minutes that I spent in the platform with the other people, it's all asynchronous. So you're typing back and forth to people in these message boards. And that you know, whether it's at 2 a.m. because they were like up nursing or, you know, middle of the afternoon, baby's napping, like they could just go and find a community waiting to interact with them. Mm. Um, who they knew was going to be supportive and understand exactly where they were coming from.
0: Yeah, completely. I can I can really, I mean, I'm not a parent, right? But I can totally mm-hmm. and utterly imagine the benefit of having that community of people who get what you're going through yes. right at your fingertips <laughs> at mm-hmm. any time of day. Um, do you know how much then people who've like taken the course within an organization have been able to then influence the attitude and the general culture of the organization? Because that's something which I imagine it could easily happen and be a great perk of having this course?
2: Yeah, so a, a fair number of course alumni have gone on to either create or become leaders of their working parent group within their organization or their caregiver group, um, ERGs, the employee resource groups, affinity groups. And um, I'm a serial founder of working parent groups myself. I founded mm-hmm. one at the trade association where I was and then one at Denton's. And Um, at some point I realized that in starting these groups, I was just, I was recreating the wheel all the time. And so I founded, and now I convene a group called the working parent group network of the leaders of working parent and caregiver groups. Um, and there are maybe about 200 people from organizations, you know, all across mostly the U S, um, where we convene every six to eight weeks by zoom to share ideas about how to run our groups and whatnot. And so, um, you know, there have been people who took the mindful return course who, um, said, I paid for this myself, but my employer really should offer this. And they go back and they become an advocate for, um, you know, offering mindful return as a parental leave benefit, offering milk stork as a milk shipping benefit. Um, I think it does actually invigorate people to start taking action within their organizations too, for sure. Mm,
0: Absolutely. And do you think that it is something that can add to any organization, regardless of whether they have an existing kind of parental support system in place?
2: Absolutely. Yes. Um, I mean, there are some companies that specifically send their employees there because the company doesn't have a ton of working parents and they want to make sure that uh, the person has an opportunity to connect with a community. Um, And then there are other organizations that have like, you know, the the kitchen sink in terms of benefits and wonderful supports. And they add this in as um, another way that's often different from the supports that they're traditionally providing through like one-on-one coaching, which is wonderful, um, but they don't often have that that, uh, community or cohort-based option. Mm. So yes, um, we've got small tech startups all the way through huge international banks using it so really Mm -hmm. anything in between Mm -hmm.
0: amazing and so we talked a little bit earlier about how you're now expanding mindful return and so it's coming to the UK India and Spain you said as
2: well Yeah. So India, I mean, sorry, um, UK chapter launched in January, 2021. So we've had a couple of cohorts already go through the program. Uh, India launched last week. We're in September now. So um, just off the ground, we have these wonderful cohorts. It's so fun to see the people interacting, you know, and we have of course coaches who are in that country who are, you know, parents and are specialized in um, understanding the culture and whatnot there who are leading the parents for the program. And then not specifically Spain, but we're launching a Spanish language version of the program, um, really, because employers had been asking us for that, because a lot of employers who we work with have offices in Latin America, South America, mm-hmm. they have Spanish speaking populations in the United States that so they want to serve. And then of course, Spain would, would meet that as well.
0: Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's excellent to hear. I think it's also just so good that this is not just limited to one country, but actually a global movement Mm. to draw back on what you said earlier about the fact that actually, when you're going through this, it's something that affects everybody in the same way, really. And like, it's a real leveler across all sorts of different nationalities, different parts of the world, different
2: countries. Yeah. And I I just have to give a quick shout out to Anya Smirnova, my um, partner in crime in the UK, Mm. in London, who um, reached out to me and said, you know, how about making this global? And it was in the middle of the pandemic. And I was like, I have no bandwidth for anything. What are you talking about? (laughs) It sounds cool. But and then, you know, the more I thought about it, the more I realized that having geographically focused communities really was a powerful way to to, you know, expand mindful return. And so um, I have to credit her for Install, instilling the spark that mm-hmm. this could be a bigger thing than, you know, just a U.S.-based program.
0: Yeah, exactly. And I had, I had the pleasure of speaking to myself through your kind introduction. And yeah, she told me this very same story that you'd been like, nope, nope, nope.
2: Actually, <laughs> Okay. Maybe actually it's a good idea. <laughs> yeah. The, the nope, nope came from a, I'm saying no to everything that comes in the door because I'm yeah. so stressed out right now. Yes. Yeah,
0: <laughs> completely. So I was wondering if you wouldn't mind, sharing Mm -hmm. some advice that you might have. If there are any new parents worrying about going back to work or any working parents already out there really struggling with the hindsight and the knowledge and the experience that you have, what advice would you give to those individuals
2: right now? Yeah, uh, great question. I have a bunch of things coming to mind. I'll name a couple. One is um, there's no one like mommy. Like, seriously, your kid's going to run into your arms as a toddler at the end of the day. And, um, you know, people worry that the baby is going to love the caregiver more or, Mm -hmm. uh, um, you know, not have that bond. And and that is the furthest thing from the truth that I have seen in every instance. Yes, the baby may also love the caregiver. You hope that they do, in fact, ultimately. Um, And. The way that that child's eyes will light up when you walk into the room makes the whole work day totally worth it. Mm-hmm. Um, another piece of advice is that um, it is totally and completely and perfectly normal and um, has been a part of human history for thousands of years to have villages taking care of children and not just one individual taking care of children. Um, Bridget Schulte writes about this in her book called Overwhelmed Work, Love and Play When No One Has the Time, and she had interviewed an in- evolutionary anthropologist. Named Sarah Blaffer um, who was studying women in Africa like 2,000 years ago, and she writes about how like women left their babies back at camp, and the babies were with the aunts and uncles and cousins, and um, the the village was called allo parents. And so allo parents, you know, in addition to the parents, have been part of human history for all time. And so mm-hmm. to the extent you get into that guilt mode of like I'm not there and my child's going to suffer flip that on its head and say, no, 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 it's, it's normal for lots of people to be caring for baby. It's good to introduce lots of different perspectives into baby's life. And you're always going to be it. You'll always be mommy. Um, the last thing I'll say is that, um, a lot of new parents worry whenever they go back, that they're going to be missing the first time baby does X, Y, or Z, or they're not going to see this milestone. And I just want to say that the baby firsts don't count until you see them. So, you know, the baby could learn to roll over or to stand up in his crib in the middle of the night while you're not there or when grandma's there or when you're in the bathroom. It's not because you went back to work that you didn't see the first time. And when you see it for the first time, it will be wonderful and thrilling and exciting, and you'll capture it on video, and then you'll share it with your friends and family. And, um, you know, don't beat yourself up over uh, what you might be quote unquote missing, because it's sort of just a story that you're Mm. telling yourself.
0: Some amazing pieces of advice there. And I just wondered there, so a lot of that was about, you know, from the mother's perspective, and Mm, I know that it will also be true for dads, but what are some of the common concerns that dads have and like, what are some of the things that they need support with?
2: Yeah. So one of the issues that is salient, I think in a lot of countries is the stigma that men Can endure from taking longer parental leaves and from being viewed as a caregiver. Mm -hmm. I mean, we have data on the motherhood bias and the uh, motherhood penalty and the fatherhood bonus, where you know traditionally men were rewarded with promotions and things when they became a parent, um, because you know the employer thought, oh well, now that they're a parent, they need more money to support their family, which is its own story. Mm. Um, However, I have found men in the US really struggle to take advantage of, and I know this is a global problem and not just in the US, to take advantage of policies that are available because there is a cultural stigma against um, taking that time for their family. And so I think quite frankly that we need to have gender neutral parental leave policies on the books and we need to support a culture where the men feel like they can take a leave. And that includes supporting them through the transition, um, conveying the message that they are valued. Um, Story of, of a man that I knew who took paternity leave uh, an extended paternity leave, but one that he was entitled to by his company. Uh, he discovered upon his return that his office had been moved to like a broom closet and had, he had never even been told. And it's those wow. you know, sort of microaggressions and signals that say, hey, we don't value what you just did that mm-hmm. I think we really need to try to move away from. Um, I think, yes, dads need recognition for for what they're doing and we need to stop the narrative that oh my gosh it's so wonderful that he's helping Mm, you know it's not helping it's it's parenting and and stop celebrating the the caregiving work that dads are doing that we don't celebrate for moms yeah so anyway yeah those are a few thoughts
0: yeah super important points because I think it's something that I have had a few conversations with, with friends, you know, who might be shooting for partnership or like Mm -hmm. as women wanting to make their career a really successful one. And Mm -hmm. they have huge concerns that if they do that, maybe they won't be able to have children or won't be able to parent. And actually some of them have male partners who would be happy to stay at home with the kids. And so actually, I think that as Mm -hmm. you said, there does Mm -hmm. need to be a Or not even stay at home with the kids, but just take on more of the responsibility. So there needs to be so much more understanding about the fact that like, the reason that we don't have so many women in leadership, and particularly corporate environments, is because, well, we haven't created the space for that. And it's not that women always want to be the person going to all the school pickups and all of the plays. Sometimes women also want to have a really successful career too and share the burden. So I couldn't agree more that the narrative completely needs to change and the stigma needs to drop so that people can parent effectively (laughs) as a couple rather than it being just one person.
2: Amen, Caitlin. And the the data shows that the more leave a dad takes, you know, during the parental leave time, the better off the woman's career ends up being. So these are all directly linked. We need Mm -hmm. to establish that culture from early on because then, you know, the dad has more experience with the child, is um, empowered to feel like he can do all the caregiving roles. And so I think it starts really early in the baby's life and is something we we need to focus on from parental leave stage Mm -hmm. onward.
1: Mm,
0: Absolutely. Well, listen, I mean, I think it is just such incredible work that you're doing and kudos to you for taking a problem and solving it and creating something that now helps everybody all around the world through this ridiculously difficult, but hugely rewarding time of your life. So thank you for coming on and sharing about it. And I hope that it's been interesting and mind opening for a lot of listeners today. Before we close though, would you mind if I ask you my series of rapid fire questions that I ask every guest at the end of my podcast?
2: Absolutely. Go for it, Caitlin. And thank you so much for having me on and sharing my story. I'm really grateful.
0: No problem. Okay.
2: So Laurie, work-life balance means integration of work and life. I don't like the term work-life yeah. balance. So it's funny. I don't know if you want me to just give a quick answer or elaborate on it, but for me, it's about being able to weave back and forth between the things rather than having some scale that measures me on a daily yeah. basis. Yep, absolutely.
0: And it's a, it's really interesting. The reason I ask this question, I say this all the time, is because everybody has a different answer. And that's mm-hmm. the point for me of yes. work-life balance is that yes. it isn't one thing. It's yep. whatever you want it or need it to be.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. If you could change one thing about the legal industry, what would it be?
2: No more billable hours. Yeah. That one was easy, hey? Yes. <laughs> End of story. Not okay. realistic at the moment, I recognize. However, that would be the dream.
0: Yeah. I mean, yeah. Maybe it will have to stick around on a nil rate basis as for some period of time. But yeah, for the
2: reasons we talked about earlier, I agree with yes. you. It needs to go. <laughs> yeah. Um,
0: what are you reading at the moment?
2: Ooh, I love that question. I am reading a number of books because I can't just read one and I'm just looking so I make sure I get, you know, the titles and everything. Um, I'm the type who has to be reading like five different books at the same time. Um, so I've got The Invisible Life of Addie LaRue. That is my fiction of, of the evening by V.E. Schwab. Um, I am reading... The Nanny Connie Way, Secrets to Mastering the First Four Months of Parenthood, because I am interviewing Nanny Connie next week, so I wanted to read her book before doing that. Um, I'm reading Karen Mazen Miller's Paradise in Plain Sight. It's about um, her zen garden. And then I'm reading a book called Decoding Boys, the New Science Behind the Subtle Art of Raising Sons, because I have a son who is, you know, 10 years old and entering puberty. And I have no idea what on earth is about to befall me because of that. So mm. that's what's on it. my bedside table.
0: I love that. There is, um, there's another book and I. I think it's called Raising Boys. This oh. other book. Yeah. It's called Raising Boys by Steve Biddulph.
2: Raising Boys. Okay. By Steve Biddulph. That's B-I-D-D-U-L-P-H. Um, P-I-D-D-U-L-P-H. Okay. Yeah. He did
0: an interview on my good podcast. So am I, mm-hmm. and it was excellent. So that might also be a good book to check out. Cool. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> All right. That's the questions. What's one new hobby that you'd love to try?
2: Oh, I want to play the cello, Caitlin. I'm a violinist, oh. but I really want to learn how to play the cello.
0: Oh, I love that. That's such yeah. an interesting and also such a clear one.
2: i've been saying i'll do it in my retirement but i should do it sooner
0: yeah yeah do it while you can
2: Mm
1: -hmm.
2: okay one thing that the world needs more of is empathy definitely more empathy more getting inside the head of the other person to understand what might possibly be going on for them
0: yeah absolutely and one thing the world
2: needs less of is ego Mm -hmm. attachment to titles um (laughs) self-obsession. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Now this one
0: might be difficult because you're kind of already doing it, but money being no object, what's Mm -hmm. one other career you would have loved to pursue?
2: Mm. Something that involves travel, like a tour guide or something Mm. who leads trips internationally and uh, explores strange and far-flung nooks of the world.
0: Really cool. Yeah, I would also love to do that. Uh-huh. I think mine would also be something to do with animals. I realize I've actually never answered these questions on this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> I was just like, oh, I've never said this before. You should but, turn, yeah,
2: the think, tables, yeah, turn the tables,
0: Caitlin. Turn the Maybe you. one yes. day I'll just yes. like do my own episode and answer my own <laughs> rapid-fire <That's good>. question. <laughs> yeah. Uh, a quote or a saying that you love is
2: comparison is the thief of joy teddy roosevelt
0: spoke about at the beginning of this episode
2: yeah i repeat it to myself every single damn day
0: mm-hmm. yeah i think i'm going to need to put that one up on my wall of quotes here as well mm-hmm. yes <laughs> one thing you do to look after your well-being is
2: ah yes 15 minutes of yoga every single morning um i get up around 6:15 i take a shower and then i go straight out to my screened in porch where I roll out the yoga mat and use insight timer uh, to provide some background music. And I I had a streak going, I took a vacation this summer and and fell off, but I think I had like 553 straight days of morning yoga. So it's very much a part of my morning practice and and helps keep me sane throughout my day.
0: Wow. That's an incredible streak. Well done. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> I like also the 15 minute thing. I think that's that's how to get a streak, right? Is make it yes, manageable.
2: Exactly. Yep. Mm.
0: One day that you'll never forget is?
2: Mm, the day I got married to my wonderful, wonderful husband. Oh, that's yeah. so nice. Mm.
0: Funnily enough, I've had men on this podcast say the same thing about theirs and then make a comment
2: like, just in case my wife is listening. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I don't care if my husband <laughs> yeah, exactly. was special for me. Yes. I love that. Um,
0: and finally, one thing that you're most grateful for right now is
2: mm, my children's cuddles and snuggles that they are eight and 10 and they still think I'm cool and want to hang out with mommy. I know that won't last, so I'm just enjoying it. it yes. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we took a wonderful trip across the U.S. this summer in our minivan, and it really brought us together in new ways, and I'm just really grateful for having had that time with them, too, mm. um, and I'm even more motivated to continue to make bigger breaks. We took mm. four weeks off, for example, uh, um, an important part of our life moving forward. Mm.
0: That's So nice. Thank you so much for taking the time today to kind of share all of that and talk so much about Mindful Return. Just before we close, if people want to find out more about you or Mindful Return, how can they do that?
2: Absolutely. So head on over to mindfulreturn.com. For the UK chapter, you can type mindfulreturn.com forward slash UK forward slash e-course. we're on all the usual social media channels. Uh, we have a pretty big Instagram presence. So feel free to go over there and follow us. And, or rather we're active there and growing the presence. Um, you can feel free to link in with me on LinkedIn um, and you know, use the at mindful return handle on any social media. We have a newsletter that comes out every Saturday morning called Saturday Secrets, which is all about working parents. Um, you can sign up for that at mindfulreturn.com. And I co-host a podcast called Parents at Work, where we feature moms and dads in different industries and sectors every month. So feel free to check us out over there.
0: Just one or two places. I will link to all of those (laughs) things in the show notes as always. Laurie, thanks so much
2: again. Thank you so much for having me, Caitlin. I really enjoyed our conversation and love what you're doing with the podcast. Thank you so much.
0: We made it. If you stay to this point, thank you and i really hope you enjoyed the episode please don't forget to rate review and subscribe on apple podcasts it really helps and i'm always super grateful for your support you can stay tuned with all of the law life balance updates at www.law-lifebalance.co.uk including the show notes and links to all of my wonderful guests and if you particularly like today's guest do follow them through their channels and reach out if you want more information I'll see you back here soon for the next episode of the Law Life Balance
1: podcast.